Romans chapter 7, 1 through to 25, uh, page 1200 in the church Bibles or uh, on the screen if you're following along. Uh, it is uh, all of chapter 7. And um, let's listen out for the questions that Paul puts to the Romans and to us. Or do you not know, brothers, uh, not now, uh, not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, the law that is binding my person only as long as he lives. For a woman, a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had been... Uh, not being for the law, I would have not known a sin, for I would, have, uh, would not have known that is to, what it is to cover if the law had not said, you shall not cover. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me through it, uh, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do everything I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members, another uh, law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I, I myself serve the law of God in, with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Thanks, Tim. This is a hard passage, um, one that we should definitely ask God for his help with as we come to look at. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to understand it now as we come to it together. And Lord, that you would work through it to point us to the Lord Jesus and to grow us to be more like him. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you, why don't New Year's resolutions produce real, lasting change? Uh, You've probably found this yourself. Uh, According to surveys, about 72% of the Australian population made a New Year's resolution in 2022. But research shows that at least 80% of those won't follow through. In fact, most resolutions are broken by January 12th. New Year's resolutions are not a good way to produce real, lasting change. But why not? Is it because we're not disciplined enough, we need to try harder? Is it because we set goals that are too big and we you know, try and make too much change in one go? Maybe those things contribute, but I actually think it boils down to a much deeper reason. Rules and laws can't bring about lasting change. In fact, they work against it. Uh, Imagine my New Year's resolution is to eat less chocolate. I won't eat chocolate during the week. And so each morning I remind myself of the goal. Don't eat chocolate today, Josh. Don't eat chocolate. But that just means I start every day thinking about chocolate. Reminding myself of the thing that I want, but I'm not letting myself have. I'm setting myself up for failure from this first moment of the day. Rules and laws can't bring about real, lasting heart change. They actually work against it. That's not just the case for New Year's resolutions. It's actually true for God's law too. That's what Paul wants us to see here in Romans 7. God's law is good, but it's not enough to change us to be more like Jesus. In Romans so far, we've seen God's extravagant, generous grace, freely given to sinners like you and I. Forgiveness, mercy and grace, it means we can have peace with God. But this grace doesn't mean that we can just sin it up. Through faith in Jesus, we are united with Christ so that we've died to sin to live for God. We've been set free from slavery to sin that leads to death so we can be slaves to God that leads to eternal life. That's what we've seen in the last few weeks. But if God's law can't bring about real, lasting heart change, what role does it play in us living as slaves to God? Well, in this chapter, Paul wants us to see two big things about the law. He wants us to see that God's law is good, but it's not enough to change us to be more like Jesus. Because the problem isn't the law, the problem is our sinful hearts. Paul shows us that God's good law, it exposes and arouses the sinfulness of our hearts, but Jesus Christ our Lord delivers us from the power of sin and the body of death. Only through Jesus' work in us, through his spirit, will we find that real, lasting heart change so that we can live for God's glory. We're going to see that in three parts. We are dead to the law. Sin is stirred up by the law. And sin leaves us wrestling with the law. So let's dive in. First, Paul shows us that we are dead to the law. Paul uses a picture from the law to show us that we aren't bound to the law anymore. 
verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Now, it would be easy here for us to get a little lost in the details about marriage and divorce. But Paul's not making a point about marriage. He's making a point about the law. And he's using marriage as an illustration. The law says that a married woman is only bound to her husband while he's alive. The promise is, till death do us part. If she sleeps around while he's alive, that's adultery. That's breaking her vows. But if her husband dies, she's free from her vows. She's free to remarry without committing adultery. She is no longer bound. And now Paul applies it to us. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers... You also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. We saw this a couple of weeks ago in chapter 6. If we trust in Jesus, then we are united with him through faith. We share in everything that is his. What has happened to him has happened to us. Because he has died, we have died. Because he has been raised, we have life in him and we will be raised in the last day. We said that it's kind of like hopping on a plane. What happens to the plane happens to us. If the plane goes up, we go up. If it crashes, we crash. If it goes to Paris, we end up in Paris too. And if we are united with Christ, we have died to the law. We are free from it. But that doesn't mean that we're free-free, free to do whatever we want. We've been set free from the law so that we can belong to Jesus and bear fruit for him. That's what Paul says. The word belong here is the same word used for marriage in verse 4. We've died to our marriage to the law so that we can live as those who are married to Christ, who've been made one with him. And so we live true to our new self, living as those who belong to Jesus. Paul puts it another way in verses 4 and 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is actually the same contrast we've seen the last few weeks between two ways to slave, to slave to sin or to slave to righteousness. Before we were living in the flesh, we were slaves to our sinful passions and desires. We were bearing fruit for death. The law couldn't fix this. In fact, Paul says the law aroused our sinful passions. It it made it worse. We're going to see more about that in a moment. But now in Christ, we've been released from the law, the written code. We're dead to that old way of life. And instead, we serve in the new way of the spirit. We've been set free from living under rules and commands that can't bring about that real lasting heart change. Instead, 
Through being united with Christ, God has given us his Holy Spirit. He now works in us to change our hearts from the inside out, to grow us to be more like Jesus, to change us so that we can really serve God in righteousness. See, only living in the new way of the Spirit can grow us to be more like Jesus. Only God's work in our hearts can change us so that we serve God in righteousness. We've seen so far in Romans that our salvation, it is not something we achieve by our own effort. The only thing that we can earn for ourselves is judgment. Instead, salvation is a free gift that God gives us through Jesus, a free gift that we receive through faith. But that's not just about salvation. It's not just about how we become a Christian. It's also about how we live as Christians. We can't change ourselves by our own willpower, by just trying harder, by more law or more rules. We can only grow to be more like Jesus as we serve in the new way of the Spirit, as we live in dependence on God, doing his renovating work in our hearts through his Spirit. We cooperate with him, But we can't do this on our own. We do it in dependence on him. What does that mean about the law itself then? Why can't the law do the work of changing us? Well, it's because our sinful desires are stirred up by the law. That's Paul's next point. Look in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. But if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Is the law itself sinful, Paul asks. No way. No way. The law reveals sin, though. It shines a light into the darkness and it exposes the monster that's lurking there. For Paul... The command, do not covet, revealed the coveting in his own heart. It showed what was already there, and it defined it. Before, Paul could have coveted away, knowing it was wrong, but not knowing what to call his desire. And now the command has come, and it has named it. He, has no, he knows what it is, and he's left with no excuse. Think of it like this. Imagine it's a Saturday morning and I'm finally getting around to tidying up my garden bed. I can finally use that bag of fertiliser that's been sitting in a corner of my garden shed for months. And I go out to it and as I lift up the bag, I see that there's a snake that's made a nest underneath the bag. I jump, the snake jumps, we're both surprised. By lifting up the bag... I have not caused the snake to appear in my shed. I've just revealed the snake that was already there under the bag. The problem was already there, but now it's exposed. And that's what the law does. It exposes the problem of sin in our hearts. But the law can't fix it. It's like an x-ray that can show up your broken leg, but it can't heal it. The law shows us our problem. It reveals the snake, but it can't fix it. But something else happens when I lift up that bag, doesn't it? See, the snake isn't just exposed, it's stirred up. 
either to bite me or to run away. It is stirred into action. And the law does that to sin too. Verse 8. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produce in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. See, like that snake, the law stirs up sin in our hearts. Rather than change us to be more like Jesus, it actually arouses more sin. My mate Dave, who's part of our preaching group, was at Bunnings during stock take when he noticed this sign on a pile of pallets. It says, do not count. While he's looking at it, another lady comes over and asks what he's looking at. And when he points at the sign, she says, I really want to count them now, don't you? And that's right, isn't it? Does it make you want to count them, maybe? (laughs) That's right, isn't it? The sign isn't for us. It's for those who are doing stock take. And without the sign, we wouldn't even care to count how many there were. It wouldn't even occur to us. But as soon as the sign says, do not count, that is all we can think about. It is all we want to do. Like my signs to the kids, don't look at the toy. See, the law stirs up sin. It stirs up that part of our heart that wants to rule ourselves. The part that doesn't want anyone to tell us what to do. The part of our hearts that wants to be God. That's what happened for Adam in the garden, wasn't it? By choosing to disobey God's command and eat from the tree, he was acting out of a desire to be like God. Our sinful hearts use the law against us. In rebellion against God, sin turns the command, do not covet, into all kinds of covetousness. The law only stirs sin into action. And the result of that is death. Verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. See, when Paul says that he was alive apart from the law, he doesn't mean that he was without sin. Paul's already shown that everyone, with or without the law, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it seemed to him like he was alive. Because he hadn't seen the problem that was already there deep in his heart. Just like I hadn't seen the snake yet, but it was still there. But the law exposes and stirs up the sin that is already in his heart. In a sense, the law kills him through his sin. Or sin kills him through the law. The problem isn't the law itself. The problem is sin. Paul ties it together in verse 12. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. The law is good. It's holy and righteous. God himself is the one who gave it. It reveals who he is and what he's like. But it is not enough to change us. 
It can't deal with the sin in our hearts to produce lasting change. It can only expose the full depth of sin in our hearts and stir it up so that we sin all the more. That is why we need to serve in the new way of the Spirit. So far, Paul's been talking in the past tense. He's been looking back to the way that the law reveals our sin while we're still slaves to sin. But what about now? What about now that we are in Christ? Well, the truth is that now, even though we've been set free from slavery to sin, sin in our lives means that we are still wrestling with the law. That's Paul's third point. You can see the wrestle in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Now, these next verses are some of the hardest verses to interpret in the whole Bible. I don't say that lightly. Paul switches from the past tense to talk about himself in the present tense. But is Paul talking about himself before or after he became a Christian? Well, one view is that Paul's talking about himself now as he lives his Christian life. But that raises some questions. How can Paul say that he's sold under sin? He's just said in chapter 6 that we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to God. And what he describes here, it sounds a lot like a life of total defeat by sin. It sounds like he wants to do what is right, but he can't. How does that fit with him commanding us to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God? Remember, to go zero tolerance against sin and to offer ourselves to God. How does this fit? The other view is that Paul is using dramatic language to talk about his life from before he became a Christian. He's talking about living as a Jew who loved God's law but was powerless to keep it. But to me, that doesn't quite fit either. Paul clearly moves from the past tense, before, to the present tense, what he is now. He talks about truly delighting in God's law in his heart. But we saw in chapter 2 that without faith, no one seeks God or fears God. And he talks about a struggle against sin that isn't the case for unbelievers. A struggle against sin that only happens through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So which one is it? Well, to me, the arguments are so nearly even that it's hard to choose. (laughs) I wrestled with that this week. I think that Paul is probably talking about his Christian experience here. He's not talking about his Christian experience without the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can change our hearts so that we actually wrestle with sin and desire to do what is good. But he is talking with the Holy Spirit out of focus he's focusing on what he can do in his own ability with his own resources in himself but actually I want to say whichever way that we go between those two options I think Paul's big point is still the same he is still showing us that the law itself is good but it's not enough to change us to be more like Jesus It's not enough because of the sinful desires that are still at work in us until Jesus returns. It's those sinful desires in the flesh that Paul's talking about here in verse 14. He says that the law itself is spiritual. It's good. It's something given by God. But Paul says he is still of the flesh. 
He is still fleshly, still in this physical body affected by sin, still struggling with the desires of sin. It's not that Paul himself is sold under sin. Sold under sin describes his flesh. It's his lingering sinful desires that are under the power of sin. And that means that the Christian life continues to be a struggle against sin, a struggle that the law can't fix. Verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For if I do not, for, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I don't think Paul is saying that he never, ever does what is right. That wouldn't make sense with the last few chapters, with what he's calling us to as believers. But he is describing the struggle of sin within him. He desires to do what is right, to obey God, to keep God's commands. That very desire and struggle is evidence that the God's law really is good. It's evidence of the work of God's spirit within him. But sin is still present with him. And under his own power, in the reality of the flesh, he doesn't choose what is good. He chooses to do the very thing he hates. Paul says it again a different way in verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Paul's drawing a very fine line here. A line between him and his flesh. He has a desire to do what is right, but in himself, in his flesh, he doesn't have the ability to carry it out. In his own power, Paul can't deal with sin in his life. It's not a matter of simply trying harder or of adding more rules or commands. Those things can't deal with the sinful desires that are at work in Paul. Paul sums up the problem in verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul's making a play on words here. He's using the word law in two different ways. He finds the law or principle that when he wants to do what is right, his sinful desires are right there. He delights in God's law, God's commands, but there's another principle at work in him, and under his own power, he is left a captive to the sinful desires at work in him. Now, Paul's not trying to leave us feeling defeated here. He's not trying to get us to abandon hope. He's stripping away any hope in ourselves or in rules or law to make us right so that he can point us to God's work in us. Verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Who can rescue us from our sinful desires? 
from the presence of sin that is still in us. Only God can rescue us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Only he can deliver us. We're going to see how next week in chapter 8. But Paul wants us to see that in ourselves, under our own steam, we have no hope. But in Jesus, we have sure hope. Hope of the Spirit's work in our lives now. And hope that when Jesus returns, we will be raised with him, free from our sinful desires. They will be dealt with forever. So what does all this mean for us? What does it mean when we're struggling with the reality of our sinful desires day by day? Well, first I want to say to you, be encouraged. Be encouraged that struggling with sin isn't a sign of spiritual death. It's a sign of spiritual life. Paul wrestles with his sinful desires because the Spirit has worked in him. If God hadn't worked in his heart, he wouldn't struggle at all. He'd simply do what his sinful heart desires. He'd be in Romans 1. The struggle itself is evidence of God's work. Even the Apostle Paul experienced times when the struggle against his sinful desires seemed overwhelming. This week, if when you're struggling with sin... When you want to give in and do what is wrong, why not pause to thank God that his spirit has brought about that struggle in you? And more than that, through the spirit, you have been set free from slavery to sin so that you actually can choose what is good. Second, realize that rules can't do the job. God's law is good. It shows us what God is like. It gives us wisdom about what it looks like to live as his people. But by itself, it can't change us so that we grow to be more like Jesus. And that goes too for all the careful rules or accountabilities or disciplines we might set up for ourselves to defeat sin in our lives. A lot of those things can be helpful. If you struggle with looking at ungodly things on the internet, putting a filter on your phone is a good idea. But by itself, under your own effort, it cannot do the job of bringing about real, lasting heart change so that you grow to be more like Jesus. It can't change you so that you desire to serve God more than you desire sin. Only Jesus can do that for us through his spirit. So third, see your desperate need for Jesus. If we can't do this on our own, all we're left with is to run to Jesus. To run to him to find grace to help us. To cry out for the work of his spirit in our hearts, changing us from the inside out. That is our right response to sin. To recognise we can't fix this on our own. To run to Jesus for his help. To seek the work of his spirit in our hearts. That might even include asking others around us to help us and pray for us too. After all, they're God's provision for us too. But run to Jesus. The law is good, but it is not enough. The reality of our sinful hearts means that the law only exposes and stirs up our sin. But thanks be to God that Jesus Christ our Lord delivers us from the power of sin and the body of death. 
through his work in us, he sets us free to serve in the new way of the Spirit. We can't do that on, in ourselves. We can't do it through rules or law. Only Jesus can. If you are united with Christ, you will struggle with sin this week. That's part of the reality of life in this world. But as you do, be encouraged. God is working in you. Be dependent. Run to Jesus, not rules or law or your own effort. Be hopeful because we've been raised with Jesus and one day we will be raised with him and the struggle will be no more. And be confident because Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sin so that even as we struggle with sin, we can be reminded that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, so often we feel the weight of our struggle against our sinful desires. We long for the day when you return and all that is set right, when we will no longer struggle with sin. Until that day, we ask that we would not depend on ourselves, would not seek to fix ourselves through relying on law or rules, but instead that we would run to you in dependence and faith. That we would seek Jesus and the work of his spirit in our hearts. This week, when we struggle with sin, help us to be reminded of your work in us. Help us to run to Jesus and help us to turn away from sin so that we might serve you. That we might serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.